Reading from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 48. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a coat tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, his owner said to them, Why are you untying the coat? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that made for peace, and now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. May God help us understand his word. Thank you, Yoke Peng, for reading us God's Word, and thank all of you, and good morning, church, for being here on the third day of Chinese New Year. I always wonder how many people will show up on this day, and uh, bless you for your patience, and uh, thank you. I've developed fresh appreciation for the difficult grace of COVID-19, as all of you discovered how difficult it is to not sing when you have the joy of the Lord in your heart. So thank you for all you are doing to both keep us safe and our community safe. This is the third day of Chinese New Year, and in some places in the world, and at least in Neptune Court, also Valentine's Day, it has been an especially delightful Chinese New Year for me this year, because as many of you know, after five months of COVID separation, my ox has returned home. 
which is in the category of one other thing I couldn't say in Canada, but here it's okay. Being an ox, Sherry has set herself to great industry, retethering me to vegetables, and the discipline of eating well and exercising, so immediately after the service, I will be going over to the circuit stalls to apologize to all my friends over there because I am now going to be in stay-home notice. Until I lose the three kilos that I gave she was gone. It's so good to be able to be here and look at God's Word together. If you've been with us this year and a month, you know that we have been looking at this theme of radical dependence. We chose this theme not knowing what God was going to bring and how desperately indeed we needed to learn to practice a radical dependence on Him. Not our strategies, not our efforts, but on God alone. We are now in Luke chapter 19, and if you were with us last week, you know from Pastor Eugene's message that since Luke 9, Jesus and his disciples had turned toward Jerusalem and were resolutely, purposely making their way to that city. And last week, we heard a rather difficult passage. In fact, in all of my life as a believer, I've never had a pastor until Eugene Lowe, who had the courage to preach the parable of the Ten Minutes. We heard that parable. And today, we are going to see Jesus applying that parable. Difficult words of that parable, Jesus is going to apply in our text this morning. And so those of you who like an outline, in fact, Earlier, Tuan Ching was telling you where you can find the outline on our software and the, on the Bible app. You can always know when I'm preaching because there isn't one there. So this outline is fairly fresh. Wasn't ready in time for publishing. Here's where we're headed today. First, the provocation. As Jesus shows himself to be the God of sovereign grace. Second, we'll look at the triumph that Jesus shows himself to be God worthy of praise. And then finally, we'll end with tragedy as Jesus shows himself to be the God of peace and purity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we prepare to hear from him. Father God, we bless you that even in this difficult season, you remind us of how worthy you are of our praise. You are the God who provides perseverance. You are still sovereign. While all of our safety infrastructure has crumbled around us, when we don't know when we will travel again, you are still God, working out your purpose in our lives for your glory and for our good. And so today, help us to find ourselves in this text this morning. Strengthen us to listen actively, not just for information that we will remember, but for decisions that we will, by your mercy, make. So motivate us today, O oh God, to obedience, to decisive actions that we will take this day that will find ourselves beneath your pleasure. Do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we look first of all at the provocation. Jesus begins 
as he applies the parable of the ten minas, or if you grew up in the Western church, we sometimes call it ten minas, you will remember that Pastor Eugene reminded us that minas are resources lent to us by God for his glory. And in the parable of the ten minas, a man, a ruler, an owner, the word is Lord, went away to a far country to receive his kingdom. And then upon returning to his vineyard, he confronted the steward that he left with his mina, his resources, that they were to invest for fruitful glory for their Lord. And of course, one said, look it, I've reproduced this many times, and he received blessing. Another said, well, I've re reproduced it a bit. And, and the other who had been given one minute said, I know you're a fierce God, I'm afraid of you, so I, you know, I kept it, preserved it, and he lost what he was given. And as we enter into this text, as Jesus begins to apply this parable, it begins with these words. And when he had said these things, he continued on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So it's really important that we remind ourselves what he had just said, and this is it. But as for these enemies of mine, this is the master, having returned after receiving his kingdom. Those enemies of mine, who were they? They were those who did not want me to reign over them. Bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now, if you were like me, sitting here last week, I was like, wait, wait, wait what? I mean, I mean, first of all, Eugene, that's a moxie. Because that is totally crushing my stereotype of Jesus, who is the gentle Savior. Just rest in his embrace. Remember, Jesus is about to personify this parable. This is the kind of parable I want to be an Old Testament parable. I want an angry prophet like Jeremiah or, or a prophet of boldness like Amos who dare call the women of Samaria fat cows of Bashan. This is the kind of parable that I would prefer to come from them, but, but, but not for, from Jesus. Can it be from Jesus? It can be from Jesus, but only if he is the God of both the Old and New Testament. This is where we begin with this uncomfortable connection. Jesus knew that his words in verses 12 through 27, those words that were preached for us by Pastor Eugene last week, he knew that they would provoke great spiritual distress in his listeners. And he also knew that it would provoke actions of clarifying decisiveness. It would separate the sheep from the goat, his followers from those who resisted his reign. He knew that this would create decisions that would distinguish those who would celebrate his rule from those who would reject it. Because Jesus was about to put his divinity, his glorious godness, on full display for everyone to see. So let's notice verses 29 through 32 uh, as he provokes the first responses. When he drew near to Bethphage, or you can say Bethphage if you want, and Bethany, 
at the mount that is called Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a coat tied on which no one has ever sat. I've highlighted that because this is the most important thing that we understand. How many of you have ridden a horse who has never been broken or recently been broken? Okay, probably because you're wise. When I was 11 years old, our family went with cousins to the interior of British Columbia where we had this holiday by a lakeside, and nearby there was a horse ranch, and our cousin said, let's like lease some horses, and, and we'll go round, ride the mountain and river paths. It was great. And when we got there, the lady was bringing out each horse, handing it to a you know, child. I was a child, 11. And then she brought this horse and said, now this horse is just freshly broken. Any of you dare ride a freshly broken horse? Horse, now, I, now here's an irritating thing about my personality is I'm not always right, but I'm always sure. So when she said that, I immediately put up my 11-year-old hand because my older cousins, they're cowards, but not me. I can ride this horse. And here's what I discovered about this horse. It was not interested in submitting to the rule of an 11-year-old boy on its back. If I tugged the reins left, it went straight. If I tugged right, it went straight. If I tugged back, it shook its head and yanked the reins right out of my hands. I was not in control of this horse. It had already been broken, but it still was not used to submitting to the rule of a man or a boy on its back. And when we got back to the ranch, it decided when all the other horses waited until their rider dismounted, it decided to go straight to the horse barn with me on its back. Now, horse barns, you're not supposed to ride them because the ceiling's low. He scraped me up against every wall and the ceiling he could. And by the time I was done, there was no place on my skin that did not have rope ash. This is me learning to submit to the rule of Jesus, who is king. It does not come naturally. And yet on this day, a donkey's colt that had never submitted to the rule of man on its back, gladly, joyfully received King Jesus. And then this happened. As they were untying the colt, its owners came and said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Now, if you grew up with this story, it didn't make sense to you. And I don't even recommend you try this in Singapore. If, for instance, after the service, you go opposite to the parking lot where the football club is and decide to take a car, you might expect the owner rushing up to you and say, why are you taking this car? And at that moment, I don't think it's a good idea for you to say, the Lord has need of it. It probably would not work that well. But in this moment, that was the response Jesus commanded his disciples to give. They said it, and the owners of the donkey joyfully gave it up. Now, here's something to know about these two words I've highlighted. The owners said to them, the Lord has need of it. The disciples responded. Those two phrases are exactly the same word in Greek. Because the word for Lord, kurios, is an owner, a landowner, which was rare in the first century. 
Most people leased the land they lived on. The farmers leased the land they worked. And from the profits of the land, they paid their lease. Owners were important and rare. And the only difference between these two words is the first word, its owners, is plural and possessive. And the second word has a definite article in front of it, the Lord. There is only two people who are the Lord in the first century. One is Caesar, the other is God. It's the Greek translation for the Hebrew Elohim. The Lord. I don't know if these guys thought, oh, Caesar is after my donkey. But whatever their rational was, they gave it up because the Lord had need of it. I don't know about you, but I need to apply this in my life. Because when the Lord comes near, you may hear him whisper, I have need of you. And this would be great if his ambition was my glory. We would be the most popular church in Singapore if we were preaching today, come near to the Lord because he has need of you to make you glorious, to give you that amazing job, to help you live your best life now. The Lord has need of you for his own glory. When we hear the Lord draw near to Grace Baptist Church and hear Him say, the Lord has need of this new building. Do we still argue about which ministry gets which room when? Are we not suggesting by that discussion that we have become owners of that which does not belong to us? When we have discussion about gospel ministry, are we still concerned about our corporate liabilities? Have we begun to guard our assets as if there is no the Lord who draws near? And now I'm going to hurt some of us. When the Lord whispers, I have need of your child, Will we suddenly say to him, oh God, I've got amazing plans for this child. Its medical school is in her future. I've got, I've got a law degree in mind for my young men. Have we begun to treat our children like our assets when the Lord draws near? Or will we say, yes, Lord, I submit to the rule of the king in my life, in my church, in my family, Take, bless, and multiply. And then the triumph. In verses 36 through 34, Jesus draws near as he shows himself to be God worthy of praise. Verses 37 and 38 says this, As he was drawing near. Near to what? Near to the city of Jerusalem. Already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God. And with a loud voice, they did it for all the mighty works that they had seen since Luke 9. So as Jesus and his disciples were moving forward, an increasing crowd was gathering. 
and they entered into Jerusalem during Passover, the Jewish celebration of when the angel of death passed over because the blood of the lamb was spread on their doorposts. This is specifically why Jesus comes with sovereign purpose to claim his city. The returning king coming back to his vineyard. And the whole multitude began to praise him, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Have you noticed that from angels proclaiming to shepherds in the middle of the night, now the very same message is being proclaimed by his disciples as they enter into Jerusalem. Glory to God. Peace. The king is coming to his city. The king is coming to claim his kingdom. And here's why it is important at this particular moment for Jesus to put his full HD godness on display. Because this was a seismic shift in the way God would reveal himself to his people. In the person of Jesus Christ, there was a radical change in the way God would show himself to his people. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In those days, in other words, God spoke to the prophet through burning bushes, through talking donkeys, through chariots of fire, through visible angels who stood in front of the men of God and spoke the words of God to them, and then they would bring those words by the authority of the angel or the burning bush to the Pharaoh, to the kings, to the people of God. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Now listen, the extraordinary irony of this text, this joyful celebration of Jesus, the incarnation of the living, glorious God, the irony of this joyful text in our last day is this. Do you know what the fastest growing vocation in Western evangelical is right now? It's not pastor. It's not elder, missionary. The fastest growing vocation in the Western church today is the vocation of the prophet. Prophets today speak their prophecies on Twitter. They have millions of followers. They announce what God has spoken to them in the middle of the night. The growingest vocation in the Christian church today is in direct conflict to the Word of God. It is in direct conflict. And the New Testament is full of revelatory evidence of the shift that took in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself spoke of it in Matthew 4 when he said, It is written, You shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This was the mouth of God speaking. 
Jesus himself, full of God's glory, the exact imprint of the living, glorious King, the creator of all things. His words are the food that feed our faith. From His words come everything we need to live confidently on this, the wrong side of the fall. In a broken world, among broken people, we get the strength from His words. Well, what about the Holy Spirit who told me this new thing? The Holy Spirit, Jesus says in John 14, whom the Father will send in whose name? In my name. The Holy Spirit is not some new person of the Trinity doing something new in our day. He is the person of Christ, the Spirit of Christ. And how will He teach us all things? He will remind you of everything I have said. There is no authority in this man right here. We get no leadership from Canada. All authority comes from God's Word. It's the only thing we recognize for strengthening faith and for the way we practice our faith. And this is why Jesus needed to put His Godness on full display. And this is what He did. Now, it's curious that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had a response to the crowds shouting to God be the glory for great things He has done since Luke 9. It's interesting, the Pharisees' response to the disciples who were crying out, Blessed be the King, the returning Master, coming to his vineyard to claim his citizens. Blessed be him. Their response is, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, I, I love the fact, I don't know if Pastor Eugene is here, but he, he gave an illustration about his boys and how they were fighting. Now, I know his boys, and I have a brother, and I'm just saying things got broken in our house. So I think his oh there there you are brother I think his boys are the sweetest things ever, but remember he was telling us about how they were you know fighting in public and and he was steaming all the way home it was was gonna you know throw the book at him is what he said. He got that from the Bible because this word rebuke in secular Greek actually represents a fine for a civic offense or a religious offense. So like in Singapore, it doesn't take you to jail, but you might have to pay $300 if you throw rubbish or spit, right? That's, that's a rebuke. It's not jail time. It's a rebuke. And, and in fact, in religious circles, you know, you show too much of your hair or whatever, or, you know, if you're a pastor, you have a tattoo, you, you probably will get a rebuke. You know, pastors shouldn't live like that. It's not awesome. Did you notice how this word was consistently used by Luke in his gospel? When the parents brought their children to Jesus, just hoping that he would touch them, what did the disciples do? They rebuked those parents. 
Because they were religious. They were calling Jesus rabbi. And in their understanding, children don't qualify for the deeper things of religion until they've had their bar mitzvah. Until the age of 12, then they begin to know the deeper things. They, they were not thinking this rabbi is, is more than a mister. He's the master. And, and a touch from Jesus will change everything. So they rebuked these parents. And remember when Ollie was preaching about the blind man who heard the commotion and asked people, who, what's, what's going on? Who's coming? And, and everybody said, oh, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. He immediately began to shout, son of David, have mercy on me. And they did what? They rebuked him. Because he was a man and a teacher from Nazareth. He was not the Messiah. Don't be using that messianic title, son of David, for this man. They rebuked him. And now these people insist on calling Jesus the Lord and praising him. Blessed be the king. We need to be careful because the longer I am a believer, the more I am likely to rebuke somebody. Because they're not living exactly the way I would. They're not making choices exactly the way I would. Unity comes when all God's people reject our desire to be religious and embrace relationship with a living king who comes to claim his kingdom. Rebuke them. And Jesus' response is this. I tell you, even if they were silent, the stones themselves would cry out. That means even if there's no missionary sharing the gospel among the nations, even if there's no faithful gathered church proclaiming his glory, all of creation would cry out his glory. Hebrews reminds us why. Because Jesus is the heir of all things. He is the heir of all things. All authority on heaven and earth. Life and yes, even death. He conquers the grave. He speaks things into existence. Through Him, the world was created. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Listen, He is uncreated light. The exact imprint of the nature of God. He upholds the universe. He is the cosmic glue that keeps this place together. He is fully and absolutely God. And now we end with the tragedy. Verses 41 through 48. How can it be tragedy when we are acknowledging Jesus is the God of peace and purity. And when he drew near to the city, remember the parable? When the master came and saw citizens who refused to tolerate his rule, he said, bring them before me and slaughter them. This is that master coming near to that people who refused to accept him as king, and he does not celebrate, he weeps. He weeps, saying, would that you, even you, my chosen people, 
If you had known this day the things that make for peace, what makes for peace? Embracing the Prince of Peace, who while we were yet enemies, died for us to make peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. And this is why Isaiah, writing about Jesus, he was despised rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It gives God no joy when the wicked are slaughtered. He grieves. It is a tragedy when we don't desire the Prince of Peace to reign in peace over us. Through His tears, he could see the Roman attack on the city of Jerusalem that would not yet happen for another 40 years. Because he doesn't learn things like we do. He knows everything at once. And through his tears, he said this, Your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you to the ground. You know what happened? They tore the city to the ground, but they tore people down as well. You and your children yet within you will be destroyed. The king of creation weeping as he shares these words. Why? Because you did not know the time when the king of creation stood on the threshold of your city. You did not know when I would return. And so the amazing thing is, though he knew they would reject him, the Prince of Peace, the returning king, yet set out to do his work. In verses 45 to 46, and he entered the temple. We need to understand the temple was built to be the residential palace for the king of creation. And the people's view was in the holy of holies, throbbing over the Ark of the Covenant, the intense Shekinah glory of God dwelt. Such a terrifying holy place that even the high priest only dared go in once a year. Into this temple, the king walked. And what did he do? He began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer. Meaning a residential palace is a place where the king's people came and plead for mercy. Where they had intimate conversations between the king of all creation and his people. That's what the temple was meant to be. But you've made it a den of robbers. Now, if you're in Wednesday night Bible study, you are already way ahead of us. Because we've been studying on Wednesday night the book of Malachi. Malachi means my messenger. Five centuries before this event, God had given the priests of Israel just one minna. Guard the holiness of my name. I leave the holiness of my name into your care. 
care for it, treasure it, preserve it. But instead of caring for the holiness of his name, they profaned his altar, giving sacrifices to the Lord that cost them nothing. Dead, broken, disease-filled animals, even animals that were stolen, they sacrificed day after day in the house of the Lord, profaning his holy name, while at the same time complaining, what does God even do for us? I mean, here we are, you know, we've come back from slavery in Babylon, but we're still suffering. We, we agreed to do this transaction, you know, giving God sacrifice so he would do things for us. He does nothing for us. Where is this God of justice? And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, God responds, Behold, I will send Malachi, my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, the God of justice, the God of righteousness, will suddenly come into whose temple? His temple. His house. He will appear before your very faces. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And he comes not just to bring peace, excuse me, but to purify. I'm not if, sure if you had this experience, but for me, I was born and raised an empty house. And then that Lord the glorious, complete image of God. The one who holds all things together by the power of his word came to the threshold of my house and filled me with his purifying presence. And that house became a holy temple because the God of peace came to claim those who would receive his rule and submit to his ambition to be glorious in us. I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you've just come because you didn't know how to say friend to, or no to a friend or, or to a family member, and it's you know, Chinese New Year, so, so you're here. I don't think you're here by accident. I think you're here because the king is coming to your vineyard, standing on the threshold of your home. He desires to bring peace, to cleanse you. And, and, and maybe you've been in church a while, and, and you've heard the Apostle Paul reminded the church in Corinth, do you not know your body is what? The temple of the Holy Spirit? And, and you've allowed some clutter in there. Friend, friend this, is, this is a moment for you, like for me, to say, yes, Lord, don't just be my teacher. Be my Lord. Fill me with your presence Cleanse me anew. I want to be like Peter who would say, yes, Lord, wash me, wash everything. I want us to take a moment of reflection 
And here's why it matters. While Jesus, living God, king of creation, was there in the temple, he was teaching daily. And the response of the religious leaders, the principal men of the people, meaning the most influential people in Jerusalem, their response to words of life was they began at that moment to seek to destroy him, but they could not. Why? Because the people were clinging to everything God Almighty was saying in his temple. So, so here's my reflection. As you try to survive COVID season, as we try and survive when not even close to all of our members can gather, many are watching right now online, when, when the most influential people in your life, may, maybe it's that toxic coworker, you know, maybe that's that internet influencer, whoever the most influenced people in your life, when they are crushing the joy that you have in Christ, how do you strengthen yourself? I was telling the staff this week, you know, one of my favorite passages in, in all of Scripture is 1 Samuel 30, when David and his men come back and have decimated their village and they've taken everything, even their, their wives and their children, they've taken them off in hostage and, and they had an appropriate response. They, they sat down and wept, but then men's, the men of David's army, they, they were going to kill him. That, that was their response. You're our leader, and, and they picked up stones to stone him to death. But then Scripture says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. And I always wondered, what does that mean until today? When life is difficult and disappointing, when you feel like you're broken, working every week with broken colleagues, how do you strengthen yourself? Do you, you, you know find a friend and vent? Do you join a support group? Or do you, like David, cling to the Word of God? Hold on to every word. And just very specifically, is, is there anything that you might need to do? One small thing, not just to know the words of Christ, but to put them into practice. Friends, it's not enough to be a gospel-teaching church if we're not living out the gospel in our relationships, in our small groups. Are you connected? Or are you trying to be a spiritual orphan? Just, you know, be safe during COVID season. What one thing will you do and put into practice to help you cling to the words of Christ? And... I typed this, but I was crying when I did, because even in pastors' lives, I, I feel like there's things in me that grieve the Lord. And we do not do the gospel justice 
If we say, oh yeah, I repented when I was nine, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Is there anything in your life now that the Lord would whisper into your heart, that, that thing grieves me? Would you be willing to say, Lord, have mercy? Cleanse me afresh. Chinese New Year is a time of new things, new starts. This is the day for you to say, Lord, come fully. I surrender completely to your glorious rule. Let your peace reign in me. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful that even in these difficult days, you are sovereign and you are at work in your world and your people. I pray, God, that today the, the grief that you felt has turned to joy. As you have heard the whisper, the heart cries of people in your presence that you have drawn here intentionally for your sovereign purpose. God, I pray that we would be a people who would choose to give the king joy. So respond to your people's pleas. Work in us your glorious providential intent. We know it's for our good. Make it for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.